0: This is an Island to Island production. I'm Molly Walker and welcome to Ironcast, the show that brings you discussions with craftsmen, celebrities, denim heads, retailers, members of the internal and extended Ironheart family and, well, some people we just plain like. In episode four of season two, we'll be talking to collaboration partner and retailer Jason Beckerich from Division Road. We talk about collaborations moving from Seattle to Central Virginia and the renaissance of wool. I coined that phrase. This is an Island to Island production, hosted and edited by me, Ollie Walker. You're listening to Ironcast. You're listening to Ironcast.
1: You're listening to Ironcast, and I'm listening to Ironcast on horseback. You heard Ironcast, in podcast from Ironcast. Reporting from the West Coast. You're listening to Ironcast. Evam
0: Adrisara Vachanam shrutavya.
1: You're listening to Ironcast, motherfucker.
0: Enjoy. It's quarter past three, nearly my time. It's 10, 15 your time, Eastern Standard Time. Where are we talking from right now? Where are you, where are you based right now?
1: So yeah, we're, uh, we're at our new location just outside of Charlottesville on uh, what we're calling and designating the fields, which will be our new uh, physical location, but where HQ is located now.
0: I- I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you about this because the subject of retail, the idea of what retail is, has been and what it can be has been played around with quite a bit recently and, and COVID for sure you know you had, to, you had to get imaginative and you've been doing something really quite interesting I mean can you give us a bit of background as to, as to where Division Road started
1: so yeah we um, just in terms of the history of the company 2016 we launched kind of a 50-50 split from physical to virtual channel kind of what I call e-boutique uh, one location in Seattle, uh downtown in the historical district of Seattle called Pioneer Square. And um yeah, launched then, you know, same same in a very well-defined approach, kind of a luxury presentation on on heritage goods, focusing on uh manufacturing brands first, um, and those that produced out of U.S., Canada, Western Europe, and Japan specifically, and a 50-50 kind of footwear to apparel approach as well in terms of mi- merchandise mix. Um, and so, you know, well-defined, you know, brand and um, position in the, the marketplace. And collaborations were always like a big piece of what we launched with, um, as well as where we wanted to go as, as a company and as a retailer. Um, so, you know, like our first launch event, uh, and opening was with what we do every year, which are these capsule collections, kind of a cross collaboration project designed around a, a certain theme, so to speak. And we really launched with that just to kind of set a precedent for, you know, what we were about as a company. And you know did did well grew year upon year um e- equal growth in both both channels um so you know everything kind of scaled from the physical to the online uh and we put you know equal amount of resources and focus on on both of those things which is you know always a difficult proposition um, wanting wanting to have you know the look and feel match and the presentation and customer service whether somebody came into the store or emailed or called uh division road to to receive you know the best we could always trying to be an informational resource as well um and a bridge from production or the brand to the customer um whether it be footwear or denim or knitwear outerwear whatever whatever it was we always wanted to have a high level of of expertise that we were trying to funnel through to the customer whether that be uh through conversations um, emails or through our content which is has always been a big piece of that presentation as well and then you know i think you know from when when we launched you know we launched into a pretty saturated uh quote-unquote heritage marketplace there were a lot of lot of boutiques kind of doing what, you know, the same model and and then, you know, bigger players getting into the space, um, you know, like the Mr.
0: Porters
1: and uh things like that.
0: I mean, talking about Mr. Porter and people like that, you know, and clothing and whatever else. Were you concerned by the uh by the moves that those guys were making?
1: You know, e-commerce is not new and, you know, the transitions of retail from physical to you know acquisition online. A lot of people called that like retail apocalypse um, and things like that in 2018, 2019. And that, you know, that was kind of the I think the larger populace and and um especially financial markets like, okay, retail's changing. And and that that was but this has been going on for a long time. But it, it definitely begged the question for you know, us as a company of, of thinking about like, how do we grow? Is that multiple doors? Is that like a different, uh, channel? Um, and I think a lot of industry professionals have been questioning, like, you know, is it multi-channel? Is it omni-channel? Is there, you know, is there an other, um, type of channel that, that can, you know, allow the business to grow and scale to whatever it, it, it should. And so, um, definitely thinking about all of those things and and what the future is for division road at at that time. And then COVID (laughs) pandemic (laughs) Um, and, uh, and shutdowns. Right. And, you know, in Seattle, we were, I guess, fortunate to, you know, uh, we're, we're tech based city um, and having amazon dominate essentially uh te- tech infrastructure more than than on the quote-unquote creative side but we had you know amazon um that employs i don't know 50 60 70 thousand people in in seattle and um and then sub offices of google and facebook and and they emptied out their offices like in february right and um and a month plus before you know, Washington States or Seattle's like shutdown mandates, you know, we got kind of a taste of what was going to happen, at least from a work lifestyle, um, you know, the tech infrastructure that was there that everybody else would be leaning on and, and saw these companies like rapidly setting up VPNs and um, having people remote work uh, and, and doing so in a, in a semi-effective manner. And so we kind of saw that you know the physical business essentially ground to a halt in in mid to late February and uh, and continued till the shutdowns. And we actually closed the store, I, I think two to three to four weeks prior to the mandates because it was, you know it was quite clear uh, the physical store um, and kept operating online. but it was pretty clear that that was probably a safe thing to do. With the you know little or convoluted information we all had about this thing at that at that time and um and no one was coming in anyway so um you know the and figuring out what we were going to do and i think through the entire pandemic one of our mantras was you know like let's do something once so um like let's not open and shut down again like let's open when we think we can open and and serve people in person and you know that that kind of translated but i think the um i in my prior careers and partly with division road or a lot with division road you know forecasting is is kind of something that you know i i try to do and hope to do well and and i think like you know putting on the whiteboard uh you know what is not necessarily the pandemic uh specifically um obviously that's a piece but what does this look like in terms of changing work and lifestyle habits? If, you know, remote work, at least at an office level, at least in tech, um, and at least in our, uh, you know, physical business there in Seattle, like, what does this spell for that piece of it? And, you know, what, do, like, how do we, how do we manage going forward? So I think it kind of started there. And, you know, there are a lot of ideas floating in my head way before this about like how we expand like I said and so at that point we kind of just started like war planning is what I call it and you know (laughs) as a team we were doing what we call brainstorm sessions um you know once like twice a month sitting around a table until well into late evening early morning hours and just kind of like discussing this reading industry reports um a lot of forecasting reports as a team and sharing notes and kind of trying to define not a new concept at that point but like what is this spell and that developed into okay like can we change how we do retail and then you know that just kind of led us down this path to where you know we're We've made a lot of decisions and transitions over, you know, the last uh, year in particular, but those have been in place for the last couple or, you know, moving along the line for the last couple and, uh, leads me to be sitting across the country on, uh, on a 45 acre property with, you know, like multiple buildings that were, you know, building out, renovating and retrofitting for what will be the future of our physical side of the business, which is, more about experience than it is acquisition and you know so let
0: me let me just clarify this so you you were in seattle for how many years
1: uh let me see well 2020 so you know personally or the business the business division uh the business five years essentially like you know 2015 to 2020 essentially correct yeah well we moved technically in 2021 so we kind of we opened the doors and actually like closed the doors about almost five years to
0: date, yeah, and in that kind of interim period, what was that looking like for you? like why did you go east side? why did you go from Seattle to east coast uh, you know wh- why did you pick where you've picked because I want to talk more about this forty five acre land that you've got, but how did it all come about the, the initial discovery of this particular plot of land
1: so yeah, I mean in those you know, war room planning sessions um, as we kind of defined a concept focused on, you know, rural destination, like real destination, agro tourism, um, or at least like sub market kind of rural tourism as an economy in in whatever region we were picking. It, it really started as a nationwide search and, you know, yeah. mountain towns and, you know winery-based towns and farm-based towns and, you know, craft-based towns. And, you know, America is a big place. Um <laughs> And so I think it started with, you know, maybe 20 states and, like, 50
0: candidates, so to speak. With no particular bias towards any of them?
1: No, no, no. I mean, it, it had to be an unbiased discussion at that point, right? Then once we got... I always say the numbers don't lie. Right. And so, you know, once we got down to the numbers, then we could draw like emotion and personal stuff into it. But, um, setting the precedent, like we're going to let the data, like our concept and how the data impacts that concept define, you know, a final selection or, or some like top candidates, so to speak. But let's do the wide swath with these like, Demographic or economic preferences in terms of like where we think this concept will work, and those included, you know, mountain towns like Jackson Hole and Park City and uh, Lake Tahoe and and Bend, Oregon. They included like more you know hospitality focused tourism destinations like Ohi and Whidbey Island on the on the West Coast and places like Charleston, South Carolina on, on the East coast, um, or like Asheville, North Carolina, places like that. Um, but then I think agro tourism in terms of like that, that continued to resonate, you know, the thing about mountain towns is they can be quite seasonal and people are going to them for other reasons. And so all, all of this was kind of like debated and funneled and, and, you know, cost of, of operating you know business taxation you know local municipalities or state uh (laughs) state governance in terms of like welcoming business and having a precedence of of things that you know in in seattle or washington were compacting or constricting the business on a certain level we weren't looking for zero regulation so You know, we weren't moving to Texas wasn't a high priority for those reasons. We weren't like that. Oh, no taxes. No, like, but something that was balanced in terms of like, okay, you know, we can pay taxes, but we want to see yield and good infrastructure for the state and stuff like that. So, yeah. And I think that, you know, the 50 went down to, to 10 and the 10 went down to five. And once we got down to about a handful of like, okay, theoretically, All of these regions and and towns could support what we want to do. A big thing that came out of that was we also wanted to be in what people are calling exurbs now, which is beyond a suburb, you know, but like one to two hours away from uh, a, a key metropolitan area where people would start moving to.
0: As you know, remote work excerpts. I've never heard that term. Is this a is this a kind of a post COVID term? This is a post COVID for... term, as far as I know. So to to elaborate on that a bit more, it's an area with potential, but pretty rural, but you know, potential to develop. Exactly. Some people call them Zoom towns. You know, these places, <laughs> <Zoom towns. laughs> that,
1: that, these places that people want to live but couldn't. You know, with yeah. a a corporate job in you know New York or Chicago or DC or you know. San Francisco, et cetera, but that are, you know, accessible to those areas. So, I mean, I, some of this stuff, like I wake up and I read Bloomberg and the wall street journal in the morning. So like, you know, it's like that a lot of times that's where my head is at. And that's, I think where I see those, but a lot of people call them zoom towns, um, Mm. now. And so that was a kind of a key contributor to the final candidates as well, you know, mixed demographics. So, college towns rated high um not just like second home community kind of things um and so yeah a, lo- a lot of things like funneled down to these five and then it was just kind of like all right let's 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 investigate these let's like n- numerically okay this is number 1 this is number 2 this is number 3 and like let's just go down the list and do these pieces these action pieces in terms of of research a big piece of that was like engaging you know chambers of commerce and business stakeholders in the community and saying hey this is what we're thinking of doing you think it'll work will you welcome us that was very revealing in in many of these uh candidates and then i think once we got down to the list that's when we started evaluating as a team like Okay, is everybody like game to move to said places? And if not, you know like let that steer part of 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 the investigation at that point? I think the the top two candidates through that process really were Hudson Valley area in New York and Charlottesville. Um, a lot of the West Coast places we wanted to be what, we wanted to do it would be hard to in terms of affordability like we just didn't have what it would require like you know we could afford a postage stamp in Napa you know and that there were other reasons that that may not be a good idea but you know those those <laughs> things or remoteness uh, was a huge huge thing i mean the west coast is big you know there's three four major cities on the entire coastline and a lot of the places that we may want to put the business was just like too far from those city centers and you know so there, there are a lot of a lot of things of course hudson valley we kinda kinda got kind of got i don't know we got priced out pretty quick i think you know and and it it stayed on the board and stayed as a candidate you know just because we we knew it would would likely work there Um, But that was a major and still is a major destination out of Manhattan, you know, people leaving, you know, the city. And so, you know, it's just like, okay, the the property prices just continued to skyrocket, you know. And and what we were looking at today is literally double of what we were looking at in maybe April or May of, of 2020. People were slower to catch on to Charlottesville. Like now we're experiencing some of that increase in property value here now. And, you know, one of the reasons we moved at a breakneck pace is just, you know, we didn't want to be priced out of other markets where we, we kind of thought this would be happening. But then, I mean, Charlottesville area kind of became a clear winner through that process. I mean, from all the stakeholders, like-minded businesses, even the county itself, there was engagement. And what we wanted to do here isn't isn't really being done. I mean, it's an out of the box concept, but they could see it. They could maybe work with it, and then other businesses that are you know also kind of growing out of this this uh, economy here that are like us but completely different, like wineries and craft distilleries and social clubs, etc., and and other kind of, you know hospitality organizations that you know focus on that kind of agro tourism destination, like all of these businesses were very engaging, very collaborative. And that was a huge value to us because, you know, we could come up with anything, but if the community and the business community and, and, you know, the governance in a certain place didn't want us there or wouldn't work with us, like then, you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter how great our concept or action is. Right. So, so yeah, there, uh, A lot of
0: things but a very like clear path through this process led us here that's that's so interesting i mean so i'm I'm hearing you talk about this it sounds so incredibly well thought out who who is in who's being taken into consideration in this is it just you and your partner is there i mean aside from the business i mean because i'm thinking about the upheaval about just going let's go to this new place let's just see if like you know what are the risks there you don't like the place eventually like how do you know if on a personal emotional level you would get on with the place like that sure and I think
1: that that was you know there there's other factors outside of the business and um I've always had a firm commitment to our team and you know in terms of ownership, it's just me, but everybody kind of acts as a partner. Um, and we're, a, we're, we're a small, small team and we try to keep, you know, very efficient. Um, and, and we're low on bandwidth, but always stressing that <laughs> efficiency. <laughs> um, but you know, we all act as owners and I, you know, another piece of like the future retail was, you know, our, our, especially in heritage, but you know, there is a, compression of wages that has been taking place in this in this business for a long time and the affordability of that for you know a retail worker whether they be you know a a designer or like a major market merchant or a retail director down to you know a sales associate is not it's not a lot of money. Like no one's going to get rich in this business who's actually doing the work. Sorry. Like it's just <laughs> not going to happen. Um, it's an old industry. It's super mature. Even though we're using new technology and e-com and stuff like that, the the margins in this business like in terms of profitability are, are low. Um, and so, you know, a, a piece of this is like, you know, knowing the industry, we're always above standard in terms of compensation um, the quality of life and what you know we can pay as an organization and you know even above the industry and what that yields in terms of pe- people being able to make this a profession and build a life. And that's very hard to do in a New York or a San Francisco or a Seattle. you know I mean like our, our industry just can't afford that person really building a life this this way as a profession you know and and that goes to you know the the nordstroms and the bloomingdales and i mean i used to work as a consultant for those businesses i know what they pay yeah yeah right and so you know that's a piece so like well if we can have the same model and pay the same amount but be in a place where that goes further right that's a, that was a huge piece of the considerations. I mean, that was like top, top block of this. And, and how do we attract talent? Like, you know, a, a lifestyle and compensation that will actually in the Charlottesville area yield you the ability to buy a house, have a family, you know, things like that without us becoming a, you know, $300 million company or that, that's also a piece of this, a big piece of this. And so I think from the whole process, there's a lot of buy-in from the team. And, you know, if people there were places that people on the the, the team were like, I can't live there. And it's like, okay, well, if two out of, you know, four or five can't live there, like, we put an X on that one, right? Wow. So, wow. Um, because, you know, I was, <laughs> I'm not doing this on my own, you know, so... Um, <laughs> you know, and I'm not, I may be a little bit out there sometimes, but, but the whole, this was a team endeavor and needed, um, all of us to act in, in Congress. So we, we only had one employee who wasn't able to relocate because of commitments in the Northwest, but, okay. um, he wouldn't have been able to relocate anywhere really out of the Northwest. And so, but until the last day, I mean, he was working remotely, you know, really a month after we had already transitioned all operations to Virginia. And uh, until the last day, like no one was the wiser. He fully believed and supported everything in in what we were doing and, and the future of Division Road and is still and always will be, um, you know, a big piece and contributor to this as the whole team was. So yeah, if
0: that answers your question. It does. I mean, I feel like for the for the people who are not in the know, what we're about to talk about now is, for me at least, and a number of other people I've spoken to about it, it's incredibly exciting. So what we're about to talk about is essentially Division Road 2.0, the evolution of Division Road, I think, as it's kind of informally being called. Is that is that fair to say? That is correct, yeah. Could you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, so, um, and this is kind of a, New foundation. Um, And the whole point of this was to kind of create that so we could organically grow in different, different directions. Um, You know, I think the, the overarching piece of 2.0 is almost like three, three channels. Um, One is the the online business. Two would be the physical experience, as we're calling it, um, rather than like a shop, which is out you know outside of charlottesville in the kind of agro tourism uh area of the region and you know the the 45 acre experience right and then the road which is you know something that is almost impossible to plan right now with covid and and all of that and really is kind of like an annual project but that's kind of an elevated pop-up is is a cheap way to call it, but essentially, you know, like taking what we do, bridging and marrying it with like hospitality for kind of like a full service thing and, and each of these, like the the online store, you know, the fields as we're calling, you know, the 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 Scottsville, Charlottesville location, and the road, all of these can kind of grow in different ways and scale in different ways. And Uh, Currently, we're focused on the online environment and we're continuing to develop content. We're kind of not rebuilding the website, but um, starting to like really involve in a deeper level, like the content we create and that experience for our customers. It'll still look and feel very similar to how it does now, but really much more expansive in terms of what the experience is there and the the fields which is our physical location. And so that's the focus right now with this kind of 2.0 almost tri-channel model. And yeah, I the in terms of like the physical experience like, you know, we we purchased this this 45 acre property we're re- retrofitting a pole barn here with, you know, the the back end operations quote unquote you know really dialed and presentable photo studio and shipping and fulfillment and showroom you know that'll be kind of everything will be customer facing so um you know if a if customer comes and they they can walk through the studio first they can walk through the shipping oh this is where my orders come from and everything will be kind of like division road aesthetic and presentable and 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 really designed by us, um, for that experience. And then the land aspect is, um, you know, key, uh, to this experience as well. And was obviously a a big driver in, in the property that, that we ended up purchasing. Um, but you know, we'll have hiking trails and, um, doing, you know, some, light agricultural stuff that relates to the brand and and how we uh, make grow and and a lot of like just abilities for customers to convene with either other customers our team and like less about quote-unquote shopping and more just about like complete immersion into you know division road and allowing us to get into other categories that that relate to this location like furnishings um is a is a big piece of what we're you know working with and and we'll be presenting um you know some art curation things like that
0: specific to the shop or things that you will actually be selling
1: things that we will actually be selling or at least uh partnerships that we will be be working with on presentation and, you know, Hey, if you're interested in this, like, you know, here's, here's the lead of Roger and Chris, which is a, uh, direct to consumer all made in America furniture company. Um, we're working with some artisans in the area for, you know, we've got a lot of forest and, you know, a lot of it's old growth forest. And we're really trying to preserve that forest. And that also does require in a very like, strategic way, taking down some trees that are aged and stressed, um, to give space and nutrients to those that are currently growing or thriving. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're taking down trees and then we're going to be turning that into furniture that we design in collaboration with these artisans, you know, so there, there's a lot of (laughs) pieces, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know if we like, let the land speak to us and that sounds kind of like a little but we we let the land speak to us and allow that like i said to kind of organically evolve but you know the the whole concept here was just a more like an immersive kind of uh experience in terms of like the lifestyle you know and you know heritage goods is so product focused in its presentation and and market, it's it's very limiting where, you know, we all like these goods because it affords a certain lifestyle in a certain way, right? It affords the ability to like go work on your bike or go work on the workshop or go take a hike and then immediately go into a meeting or, you know, go into work. And, and we felt like all of this really relates to that lifestyle right that were you know which is the reason we're kind of interested in this stuff is it's it's hard wearing but it's presentable and it's stylish and and all of that and it at a quality level that just really doesn't exist outside of the sphere and so presenting that in you know a, a small small quote-unquote shop in a in a downtown and and not being able to really like tell the others, you know, curated stories of goods that kind of also relate to this, you know, that's very constricting. So this kind of opens it all wide open again and, you know, and, and makes it interesting for us, interesting. And if we're not interested, the customer is not interested. Like that's something that it always like kind of resonates. And so a lot of people are excited about this because it really just, I mean, we're excited about it and, and it just like opens up the possibilities in terms of. Presentation and and when customers come here, like if they know everything about the boots and, and denim and jackets that we sell, it it allows them to also look at some other things that they may not know a lot about. Or if people are interested in that, and then we can inform them about the boots and jackets and denim that we sell. You know, so I think it's a broader but very targeted experience that we're looking for. And I think the other big piece is the community aspect, you know, in terms of brand focused events, you know, like whether they be made to orders or trunk shows or all of that that are difficult to do and we know we're we're not in the middle of nowhere, but this is about as destination as it can get in in, in a certain <laughs> light, right? Like so people being able to kind of like plan their trip here around their favorite brand and You know have that experience and have this experience and um what this affords in terms of a physical place where the community can interact which you know has been taking place on forums and social media but it's but it's you know it's a a, much like a lot of things online it's it's a narrow and lower yield than like Sitting around a, a fire pit with guys like you who like these brands or like these goods and you know talking about that or just like interacting as as you know um you know kind of humans right in in a in a physical place, and that's not really something that really takes place a whole lot in a shop environment, but we see taking place here a lot and so yeah, I mean like kind of we wanted to always be like an informational resource, uh, beyond a retailer, you know, then, you know, with this location and this whole experience, we wanted to be kind of a community resource as well with those that we work with. And we think that that opens up a realm of possibilities in terms of not only connection to the brands, but information and, you know, connection from the brands to their customers directly. Um, and then just kind of like, why we're all into this stuff and you know that that that's really crucial and we're excited for that
0: too the idea of kind of setting this up it's quite a pioneering move if you look at it not necessarily end game but if you look at it long term do you anticipate that you will attract other people to the area you're in is that is that something you've taken into consideration with this
1: yeah i mean whether it's in retail um i i don't know. I think the thing that is important is like what we're doing works for our model and our presentation. I don't think that, you know, post pandemic for any retailer, there's a silver bullet f- formula of what will work. But I think every brand and, and whether it be a retailer or direct to consumer, I think they need to figure it out because there are structural changes that have taken place. And I think those. You know, those models will be different. I mean, you know, it's kind of, if somebody does, awesome. You know, then there's, you know, two of us. I don't know if, you know, we're too worried about competition. I think one thing that is interesting is like Charlottesville and Albemarle County in particular, you know, is in this good spot right now. You know, not matured, but definitely past, past the like initial growth spurts. And I think that's also why a lot of like businesses uh, saw us as being able to be a piece of that fabric that's going on here economically in in terms of tourism and why people are coming and stuff like that. And so it wasn't, it's not at this space where we'd be trying to fit in when it's all scaled, but that we could grow as it grows. And you know, what, what has it started kind of, Well, I mean, it it goes back a long time, you know, equestrian and hunt clubs and stuff like that. But then, you know, I, I, I'm sure locals will correct me on this, but, you know, say like 10 to 15 years ago, like the winery business kind of started out of this and uh, out of the area in a, in a more, in a broader way, even though grapes have been grown here since, you know, early presidents, but that kind of started events and weddings and in, in particular in terms of a destination came out of that. And over the last five, six, seven years, you've had like more of the craft sub businesses kind of come out of that. And so, you know, it's evolving nice, nicely and in a place where we kind of fit in and will be embraced rather than forgotten or whatever. And so you know, I think there's, it's not like the top of like to-do destinations, but it's it's a great place that has all those ingredients that people will discover. And I think that that is one of the things that excites us about here is, you know, whether you're familiar with it and came five years ago or it's new to someone's radar, when they come here, they'll be impressed and it'll continue to grow. Like the next time they come here, much like our... our the The fields themselves here, it, it'll it's gonna organically evolve. So it's not gonna be the same place year upon year. Whether you're talking about Albemarle County or whether you're talking about you know Division Road here, and I think that's that's exciting. Rather than you know like you can go to some places in the Northeast or the West Coast, and it's like it's kind of been like that. It's like scaled for for quite some time. But you know, there's always. There's always risk to that as well you know like yeah I mean we're the we're the first retail based organization to do this here um, so you know first one through the door gets bloodied and, <laughs> you know so there's you know and and we knew that that would be kind of you know the case so yeah I mean I think there's a lot of growth that we're excited about that will occur here but I don't think it'll be like I mean, quote-unquote overwhelming for the region because it's it's at a good spot so if that answers your question yeah
0: um just on a kind of a tourism note what kind of climate what kind of attractions what would you what kind of, one of apart from coming to visit you in charlottesville what other things can people do when they do come to visit you
1: yeah i mean so the the climate here. I mean, it's, it's East coast, you know, central Virginia, a little bit, you know, it's not Southern. It's, it's, it's not Northern. I mean, Virginia is kind of like the Northern state of the South or the Southern state of the North, depending on what, what you <laughs> cut, cut it up as. But, uh, I think with climate change, everything's changing, but, um, in winter we get some snowfall, not, not a ton, but some snowfall and, you know, f- you know, freezing, but not like, you know, frigid, temps the fall here is amazing you know one of the one of the best fall foliage areas in the country uh, and definitely could be put on par with the top destinations in the northeast for that spring's beautiful summer's hot <laughs> like hot hot um proper
0: proper hot yeah, yeah
1: proper hot i mean it, you know it's you know it's 90 it's 90 degrees right um you know is a, is a average you know kind of probably an average temp and, you know, summer, summers are getting longer, winters are getting longer, et cetera. But still amazing seasonality to, to the area and, and change. In terms of destinations and what to do, I mean, there is it is a very long list. I mean, there's <laughs> yeah a lot of historical, you know, landmarks and uh, tours that people can do. You know, you've got right down the road, You've got, um, and literally down our road, uh, you've got Monticello, which is Jefferson's, you know, estate and home. And you've got the Monroe Highlands. You also, James Monroe Highlands. You have Montpellier, uh, kind of a little bit more north, which is um, Madison's uh, estate and and property um, and, and other historical uh, landmarks and things in the area. And that's kind of always been here. You have the Monticello Wine Trail, which is, uh, it's it's massive, but 40, 50 wineries. And <clears throat> some of those are, you know, more experience focused and some have award-winning wines, you know, and, you know, that has definitely been growing in the area. There's a lot of craft breweries in the area that have kind of sprung up over a number of years that are great destinations. There's, you know, craft artisan studios, you know, ceramics, woodworking, things like that. Um, and a lot of like visitable farm destinations as well. You know, like down the road is uh, Carter mountain and they focus on it's apple orchard kind of focus. But I mean, the amount of visitation there is, is insane. And then, you know, a lot of seasonality. So you have a lot of, uh, you know, like artisan fairs through fall and things like that um as well. And, and then in spring, you have like, you know, a lot of like nursery focused events. But, you know, coming to Division Road, I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons, like as a destination, agro tourism, all of this, it's like, hey, like, here's our list of Partners, you know, a couple of wineries, couple of distilleries, craft cider house. Go check these out. There's a a a pretty significant music scene here. So like, you know, Dave Matthews' uh, management company and now his label is headquartered in Charlottesville, and he's he grew up here and he's been a huge promoter of the area for a while. Has a winery here, Blenheim Winery, but you know, a a lot of his roster you know, lives and plays here, especially like the early young, younger, uh, groups, um, at the wineries and at the distilleries and stuff throughout the week. So you come here like during fall, summer and spring. And, you know, there's like some, somebody playing every night of the week almost and something (laughs) going on. Uh, so there's, you know, that kind of activity to where, I mean, we've been here, it, it it take us, like, I don't know, a, a year of, of concentrated effort to, you know, almost every other day, like, going and, and visiting these places. And there's, you know, there's a bunch of other stuff, like, there's a, a nursery called Grelin, which is, you know, 300 acres of this, like, I mean, it's it's amazing. I've, I've never seen anything like it, but you know, they have old growth trees and, and, and it's an active nursery, but it's also like just a, a destination. They have a shop there and a, you know, a restaurant and stuff like that. And there's all of those kind of things. And then if you're into like hunting and fox hunting, there's that kind of stuff. There's a lot of equestrian community here. Um, so, horse riding, um, it, you know, so there's plenty of that to do that's kind of rural craft goods um you know focused
0: yeah yeah um so you must be having like a launch you know you must be having a launch for this new thing i mean we got we got to talk about that so when is that going to be happening
1: yeah so um i think we were targeting spring um and i think the the strategy right now is is open You know, launch and then a formal launch event, maybe like a month later, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, And as the you know we are building and permitting and all of that and that's the the county has been overwhelmed with the sheer amount of applications and <laughs> not people exactly like us but a lot of people moving into the area and building um and so there's been delays that could be expected but are definitely outside of the norm there um, so, you know, our, our initial schedule has been pushed back a little bit. But late spring, early summer, will be opening uh, the fields. And then launch event, probably June, is the current um, and very likely target. And since we are on on Ironcast, uh, our goal is to have like the launch event and time that with not only Ironheart coming out, but doing an Ironheart focused event like the week thereafter, you know, make make the international travel worthwhile for them, A, <laughs> and um, have one of our banner brands, um, you know, kind of kick off our, our calendar of events, which is obviously a big piece of what we're doing here. So that's that's that. And, you know, it's a uh, it'll be a cool event and a lot of things planned for for that and then with Ironheart, that period of time should allow a you know kind of preview on the following season maybe some you know pre-orders on that season and then we will have some new collaborations that will be available as well and and in all in addition to um you know, meeting the the Ironheart team, which as you know, is a, a fantastic thing and great, oh, yeah. great folks
0: all around. And um, and we're sure people will be excited to do. Oh, that, okay, They're definitely looking forward to that. The best way to stay in touch with Jason regarding this event, would you say uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, where would you kind of, where would you give a, a fixed date eventually when you've got it? Newsletter, newsletter, newsletter. So go to divisionroadinc.com. And sign up to the newsletter there if you don't already. Follow the journey,
1: bottom of each page. But we are very deliberate about that. No algorithm will feed it out. Um, just, uh, <laughs> just Google email filters. So check your junk if you don't see
0: it. And what I will also do for you listeners is I will... Uh, Jason's got a couple of videos about the kind of transition from Seattle to West Virginia. West Virginia? Is it West Virginia or Central Virginia? Am I saying that right? Uh, West Virginia is a different state. Virginia, Central Virginia. Ah, yeah. So forgive me, I've been saying that wrong. So Central Virginia, the transition from Seattle to there, uh, the kind of unpacking the store in Seattle and moving it all over. So I'll put links to those two videos uh, in the description as well. Okay, so because you just mentioned Ironca- Ironcast and Ironheart, I would like to talk to you about the collaborations, which have been plentiful, I'd say, over the years. Yeah, I mean, we're, and, you know, we, like I said, we this is kind of, what
1: we try to do and you know it, Ironheart has a uh very well defined brand and um and and you know market and all of that and so yeah I mean I think it started you know slowly but surely um but we've had some some great projects uh that we've worked on and and are grateful for the opportunity to do so but yeah the the 502 and the 602, so the 502 um, cargo, quote-unquote, mm. servicemen, that's been, I think, very, very successful, very well-received. Um, the 602, That's an 11-ounce whip whipcord cargo pant, olive it, and indigo black. Exactly, yeah. We launched with the, the whipcord, or that was the introduction of that new pattern, and then did the indigo black, and you'll see some... Some other iterations coming out, you know, through through this year and into next. Um, and then the 602 Double Front, uh, which is kind of, you know, just a little bit more refined version of a of, of full-on work pant. Both kind of sharing the same body, you know, adapted for, you know, different pattern details, but kind of based
0: off of the 888 fit. So for those who, are, uh, who aren't familiar, the 888 is a higher waist a bit of room in the thighs with a taper precisely yeah and i think now probably
1: our most popular fit oh really yeah and i you know i think even a a a guy that prefers slims can see that fit working out and and then Mm -hmm. adapted to a trouser um you know makes makes a lot of sense so Right. Yeah. Th- those have been fantastic. We just not too long ago released and Ironheart released the uh, 434 Fox Brothers CPOs.
0: Yeah. OK, so tell me about that collaboration. How did that all come about? That's, uh, you know, I think
1: it came about like, you know, with with most of our vendors, I'm like, here's a list of things that I'm, I'm thinking about. Um, (laughs) and you know, I think, you know, it takes, I think it took a while to get the traction, you know, and I think also like production and working with wool and things like that, you know, yeah, brought it up, you know, maybe a year later, Haraki was like, yeah, I want to, I want to do something like this. And, and I think I've, I've learned, I think my first Approach towards collaboration was way too defined, and kind of Haraki was like, "Yeah, I don't, you know, really want to do this." And and then I kind of, you know, it made sense. Giles and and Alex explained like, "Hey, you know, like it's got to Haraki's, it's got to be his, right?" And and that makes sense, right? Like the Ironheart yeah. brand and designs and utility is super well defined, and they have just like we have their own. Formula and and that a lot of that comes out of Haraki and um so you know now it's just kind of like broad descriptions and that's how the Fox Brothers CPO kind of started and it really a a wool shirting piece that could you know go between wool shirting and an overshirt but more shirting than anything and based off of the the Fox Brothers fourteen ounce West flannel west of england flannel which is a very special recipe to where it is non-irritating on body Um, i mean fox brothers for those that don't know is like the originator really of worsted wools and you know they they're so it's hyper refined but outdoor appropriate woolens um and and cloths worsted cloths and, you know, so almost suiting great for the outdoors is the best way to
0: describe it. Would you say that when you say outdoor appropriate, would you say just because the way it's, I don't know if you'd say it's woven or the way it's put together would make it almost water resistant? Is that what you mean essentially by Yeah, there's so much fiber packed in. So like the cording and worsting
1: process, like simplistically, is you're refining the yarn and you're refining the cloth. And you can do that once in Fox Brothers' case, they do it like seven, eight times for each cloth. So what you know, basically you're as you're spinning the yarn, as you're looming the cloth, they're cutting at a, you know, like a hyper millimeter level the fibers and respinning and relooming and cutting the fibers and re-spinning and relooming. And so that allows the cloth to be, the fibers to be compacted. So like you get a 14, you get a 20 ounce Fox Brothers and it feels the weight uh, on body and just in general of like a normal wool 14 ounce. Like, so it it just has a lot more packed into it, but then is also hyper flexible as well. So it drapes and and, and, um, doesn't have this immense and sometimes cumbersome structure to it um and then because of that i mean wool is is has weather resistance naturally but then but yes like you said like it's going to be you know more quote unquote hydrophobic it's going to be better even if it's not treated specifically for that so you know their cloths are just the kind of thing where you know if you take it outside and you know you're you're tromping through woods or you know, or uh, or find yourself like, you know, in a workshop or, you know, much like the Ironheart lifestyle, um, you know, you're not going to damage the pieces, even though they're hyper expensive, you know, kind of suiting grade, so to speak. So, yeah, that that's. That's what I mean by kind of like outdoor appropriate is like you look at this stuff and you look at the price point it's like oh I got a baby this like cashmere and it's like no 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 it's it's like tank level durability like no pilling you know, you don't roll a, a lint brush over it and come up with half of the shirt kind of thing, you know, so it's all
0: it's already all compacted in there. So a- amazing stuff. I'm, li- I'm liking this kind of resurgence of wool. It's nice to see it. You know, it, 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 it is. It sort of was forgotten. It was, you know, synthet- synthetics were chosen over for a long time, but it's nice to see it coming back. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, wool, you know, and people are like, oh, it
1: has to be like cold and and you've seen like merino and things like that kind of translate into active wear actually the last number of years mm-hmm. as well. But wool has a much broader temperature like stability than any other fabric out there. So, Is that so? wow yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's just more adaptive to human temperatures than a cotton and surely a synthetic and, and you know, a good woolen will act just as good or better in terms of weather resistancy. I mean, you know, I mean, and the U.S. Navy and their Melton Klaus could, you know, tell you that, that from generations ago. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an amazing um, composition when done well. And I think, I think wool, like a lot of things, gets a bad rap um, and cotton as well when there's just poor, poor examples. So people assume like all wool performs and wool can be, produced very cheaply, um, and wear out and, you know, be crap quite easily. So, you know, it's just, it's just all like anything else, like the quality of the raw fibers and, and, and then milling looming, um, that, that make the big difference, but a high quality wool is, is amazing in terms of temperature variation and and like
0: non-seasonality and then of course utility it's 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 so for those listening uh the two pieces that they are labeled as a 14 ounce fox brothers wool uh piccadilly houndstooth and gun club check flannel cpo shirt and, and uh, the cpo essentially is a it's a squarer body with i think pockets in the front i could probably get a bit more clarification from you on this jason if i'm getting that on wrong and it's a button down shirt yeah
1: yeah it, it, yeah, it's kind of. Um, I mean, it's a, a military original, really naval original, kind of as the baseline of the design. But yeah, two two chest uh, patch, flap front, buttoned pockets, more of a shirting design versus an overshirting design. It has a very like identifiable collar as well, like a you know, it's a not pronounced but you know, kind of a mid proportioned uh, point collar you know, button cuffs, but, um, you know, a casual military inspired piece. We kind of designed the pattern based off of the use of this specific cloth. And, you know, Haraki did an amazing job. You know, we had a couple of samplings and stuff like that, but just an amazing job in refining the fit. Everybody who's gotten one has been astounded. Ironheart was super happy with the result um, I think they you know they reported to me that it was
0: like certainly the best release from a sales perspective but I, then... I mean Jason just to give you give you some insight here sorry to interrupt your your flow yeah um, but just to, the, the time of release of this episode will be March at some point I believe or, or February uh, forgive me February right. so we're recording this first of February uh, happy first of February by the way, and I'm looking at those two shirts on the website. And there is a size small left in the gun club check. And there is a triple XL in the uh, Piccadilly Houndstooth gray. Yep. Um, So I'd say that's done a a fairly well. So congratulations on, at least on this portal anyway. (laughs) That's, um, That's a pretty successful run. Congratulations.
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, I don't, we weren't expecting it to be that kind of thing. And yeah, Ironheart, I just, you know, saw them in New York last week and um, you know, they they said it's really the best release they can remember. So, yeah, and I think, you know, it's the the point of collaborations and stuff like this is, you know, to kind of see see how the market is is maybe not changing, but things that, you know, it's hard for a brand to justify within a line or some massive production. But yeah, I think this That CPO kind of opened our eyes um, in terms of, you know, familiarity from the customer base of Ironheart with Fox Brothers Wool's. Um, And then just in terms of like, oh, okay like you said, like Woolens, um, this is something that the customers is is looking for. Um, And, you know, not not a big piece of the um, Ironheart methodology. So, yeah, I mean, it was a very successful collaboration and and we're you know a great pattern to work off for future releases um in that fox brothers 14 ounce which yeah we're we're all very excited about that as a as a launching pad for for future things so much like the 502 and 602 i think have been so yeah
0: yeah yeah it's it's really amazing to watch i'm actually slightly gutty because as i was looking at the uh, the brown hallsway gun club ship, i was like mm, actually maybe i'll get that <laughs> yeah no no well, I no think dice.
1: we split the run, and I think I took a few more than Ironheart, and they have a bigger cast, obviously, to their customer than than we do. Sure. but we may have one in your in your
0: size, and uh, we can figure I'll, that uh, out. I'll, yeah, I'll talk to you after the episode. Oh, okay. good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, but it's it's. One thing I'd like to talk to you about is, obviously I've spoken to a few retailers, um, shout out to Danny at Rivet and Hyde in London, TJ at the shop Vancouver. Uh, there's a few other people I'm looking forward to meeting at some point, maybe Kia at Self Edge. Um, you know, a, a few a few other people. I, I, I'm always interested in talking to you guys. And one thing I will say from, from, from what I've seen uh, of, of Division Road is that you have a very clear aesthetic. And that's one thing I really appreciate about the very, very, you know, uh, prominent retailers. And it's it's it's... It's interesting that earlier you talked about Mr. Porter because I feel like it bridges the gap between heritage and Mr. Porter, if that's such a thing. I mean, would you say that? I mean, again, that's my subjective opinion. Would you say that some? Um, you know, how how have you been intentional about the aesthetic of the of of the uh, of the business?
1: Yeah, for sure. And you know, Danny with Rivet and Hyde and Kia Self Edge, um, you know, I, Ironheart has a great great roster. Um, of retailers and, you know, huge, huge respect. And I think, you know, we try to be distinct um, and have our own identity. And that was kind of formulated before, you know, before anything really. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's really what division road is, is a bridge between, you know, that very like traditional heritage goods, almost like, you know, vintage looking shop and you know something like a mr porter that is more in like the designer luxury sphere at least you know with the bulk of their thing and then also in terms of content marrying those things so you know i think Kia kia was self-edged like you know one thing that's always his product descriptions um have always like taken me and that, you know, they're like three or four paragraphs long, especially in the <laughs> the first iteration of the website, you know, years, a year, you know, a decade ago or whatever, like, um, and so like, that's, you know, like, that's something that we do is like, really like geek over this stuff in the product descriptions. And, and then also, you know, in terms of editorial, like Mr. Porter has one of the best like editorial programs, um, telling the story and things like that. And that's something. You know that we 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 do and it is a big part of the brand, but you know this stuff isn't cheap, um, and you know and I I've always I always kind of like want to elevate the product, and we we actually like absorb a lot of those costs actually as an operation to to be able to offer even a Fox Brothers CPO Ironheart were uh, at it you know the five fifty price point that's that stuff the retail cloth is like $140 a yard, you know. So, you know, just in fabric cost to a consumer that that's like 200 and 280 dollars um in fabric cost, you know. So, there's a huge amount of value in that, but also wanting to push that that stuff um is always been something that I I do and want to do and and a big part of our position. But when you're selling you know five to seven hundred or eight hundred dollar boots and when you're selling like stuff that's from five hundred to fifteen to three thousand dollars in terms of outerwear in my view there should be a approach and presentation to that that matches the price point point. Um, and that's what we've always tried to do in terms of customer service in terms of our fulfillment terms of how we serve people you know quote unquote physically or virtually is have not a formal but just a more refined presentation rather than like aggressively casual um so you know there there's a little bit of that uh or or a big piece of that where you know we want to people to walk away spending whatever they spent which at whatever level is still you know, a, a, a price point, there's a lot of value in that price point, but it's still a, a fair amount of money and feel like they've been served at a level that matches that, you know? So when they open a package that, you know, could be $5,000 of goods from us, right? When they open that package, it should feel like it's personalized, but it should feel like it's, you know, not a bunch of stuff thrown in a, in a, you know, soft sided bag, you know? Uh, so um that is yeah i mean you kind of nailed it we say luxury heritage and it's kind of like not a joke but um yeah i think it it, it doesn't really resonate but just really a luxury
0: approach on heritage goods is what we kind of strive towards and the new additions to uh one thing i did notice recently is uh you've 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 recently added in um a british shoemaker which is uh forgive me I've, I've actually they've completely lost my name it's not uh it's not old and it's oh crockett uh, and jones crockett and jones yeah so what 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 inspired that decision uh well yeah and we've
1: from our founding we've been working with trickers which is a you know huge love affair for us um <laughs> and uh crockett and jones has, was on like the original you know Ideal brand list um, for us. And and there's been discussions over years with them. Obviously, collaborations is, and in footwear, like pretty much 100% of our offerings have been exclusive or collaborations at some level. And that's always been a thing. And Crockett and Jones doesn't really do that. Um, (laughs) So I think that, you know, a lot of the discussions kind of started and ended there for a couple of years. But I think if anybody can vouch uh for this when speaking about me at least persistent is probably top of the list um <laughs> and you know they've you know they've transitioned a little not transitioned but you know uh grown in not a like in a more casual way over the last couple of years um which is kind of like a formula that matches like what we do which is like you know kind of refined casual wear so to speak and um you know so i think that there there became a marriage there where it's like okay you know like this is not something we do a lot of but we're doing a little bit more of for like a very exclusive list of brands or s- sometimes retailers um etc And so like, let's, let's talk about this. And I think we found a lot of alignment in, you know, what we, and I think that's also a big piece is a brand, whether they be Ironheart or Crockett and Jones, like to engage that they have to, and, and should, uh, trust the collaborator is not going to change the DNA of the brand. And that's something that we've always, whether it's a trickers or, you know, a, a Whites or a Viberg or anything in the footwear sphere, or, you know, like an Ironheart, we are not trying to redefine what that is. We're just, you know, we're not trying to make it look like something else. Um, we just want to work within that brand DNA and just like push it a little bit this way, push it a little bit that way. And, um, you know, we have now a, a a pretty significant roster of work on those things, and I think you know Crockett trusted, especially when they said, "Okay, what are you thinking of?" and gave them spec sheets, and and you know, and they're like, "Okay, this is this is still a very much a Crockett and Jones. It's still very much like what we are doing," and and um, and so that that became what we just released, and this is going to be you know, a a major key, um, and all of the brands that we work with, especially in footwear, but all of them, we're not looking for like one hit wonders. Like the, we want to grow the business over time for us and, and them. And, um, so, you know, this is a long-term relationship that we're very excited for because it's really the only, um,
0: collaboration crockett and jones in the marketplace um wow, that way that's huge man that's huge yeah i mean i i mean not that it's i'm not a really an authority to to speak to this point but it would seem to me like for them collaborating with people like yourself is is hugely important for their relevance moving forward
1: yeah i mean it, it opens i mean there's always like exposure that it allows, you know, and I think especially with like online, it's, it, you know, in and, and that world and the, the physical kind of diminished, you know, that there's how do we break through the noise? And I think for, you know, Crockett and Jones or an Ironheart, like maybe the grasp isn't like huge, but it is a new market, so to speak. And I think like there's always a place for you know, presentations with a twist that kind of, oh, okay, like we, we probably wouldn't have done this, um, you know, but, but people seem to like it, you know, and I think that that, um, but you know, there's also a lot of investment from brand and manufacturing and doing these things. So it's, you know, I mean, it's a dangerous proposition. I think, you know, I used to do product development, um, of my consulting kind of formula and and so like manufacturing production tickets are like i'm very familiar you know i it's not like a bunch of back and forth can we do this for by and large i kind of know if they can or can't based off of their capabilities um so i you know like i think not reinventing the wheel every single iteration is huge for them um and and then also Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you can do it too much. Uh, you're with too many, um, lenses to where you kind of can lose your identity. Um, and as a brand, as a manufacturing brand, um, and then, you know, it can kind of dilute the thing. So there's, there's, I think everybody kind of has to navigate it specific, you know, specific to their brand, but for sure. I mean, the, the big benefit is the customer has a, a a subtly wireder offering right and you know no one can do everything um and no one can think of everything so i think you know the biggest thing is as if it's a lens that they trust um who understands the brand um you know it's hard it you know there we all deal with like groupthink you know and <laughs> You know, it, it gives like a trusted perspective on something outside of the, the organization. And, and that's one of the reasons we do it too. It's like, you know, it, 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 it gives us deeper discussions on product and market and their audience and their customer and our customer. And, and just trying to like, at the end of the day, like all of our goal is to produce killer stuff that people love right and and that they don't love just when they buy it but they love it five years ten years down the road that's why we're producing stuff that lasts long right so yeah I think from from all of those points of view like that's our aims and that's the result when done well and you know like there are failures I mean we've we've done stuff that hasn't resonated um, and maybe we loved but no one else did Um, and, you know, so but I think if you can, you know, if you can bat 700, then then that's like great for everybody. And and I think a, a, a boon for the market as well, because, you know, heritage based goods, we all have the this like formulaic following like of reproductions. and And I think that's also the piece of like the brands that we look for. And we look forward to work with and want to work with us are the ones that are really like trying to evolve and like not just purely like reproduce but produce based off of something, but do it better. And I think, yeah, that's the like-minded approach of Division Roden and Ironheart. Like, you know, their type three or their denim or, you know, their Western. It's like the original, but it it really is better than anything that's been produced up to that point you know and that's that's what you know so that's um that's kind of the joy of i think for us what we what we do and then that that the
0: customer gets that and feels that way and and loves it oh i I love that jason that's that's a great way to uh to cap it off um so just to round this off just to reiterate will there'll be an announcement of the uh, event at Division Road in Central Virginia, Charlottesville, uh, in the coming weeks?
1: Yeah, see, March, prob- probably towards like the end of March, um, at, at the latest, we will be giving formal calendar of events announcement with the launch shindig and events with Ironheart and um, White's uh, Gitman Vintage Dean,
0: um, and maybe uh, some others through the end of the year. Or so nice okay so subscribe to the division road inc newsletter or follow their instagram or various other uh social channels for the updates um jason it's been an absolute joy talking to you thank you so much for your time oh gosh ollie um the the pleasure is all mine
1: and uh an honor to be on uh on iron and speak about all of this stuff so thank you so much for for the opportunity
0: you've been listening to ironcast the official ironheart international podcast a big thank you to jason peckerich ironcast is an island to island production hosted and edited by me Molly walker we hope you enjoyed listening and we look forward to dropping episode five very soon take care